need a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Some place where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered, cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org. We know that Jesus is all about forgiveness. He came and gave his life for us at the cross so that we might have the forgiveness of all our sins. So why is it that at various places in the New Testament Gospels, Jesus makes it sound like God's forgiveness of us is merited by our forgiveness of one another? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's part seven of our series on the difficult sayings of Jesus today, forgiveness in Matthew chapter six. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. He's pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and departmental editor of Godestine's The Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. David, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. The first uh, passage we're going to deal with here is Matthew six, beginning at verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Sounds an awful lot like our forgiveness of each other merits God's forgiveness. It definitely sounds like that if it's taken, just like you read it, out of context, not only in the immediate context, but also in the broader context. And of course, ultimately, that just can't be true because it contradicts so much else in Holy Scripture, because we know that salvation, that the forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus is monergistic, right? That he does this by himself. And besides that, then it would also introduce terrible uncertainty, right? Who would ever know if he has forgiven just as perfectly as Jesus has forgiven without grudge? or Well, really, we would all know we haven't, right? So, How then could anyone be saved? No one could be saved. So that's not what this passage means. So we have to look at it a little more closely and carefully. Is this one that troubles the average person's mind? I think I have been asked about this passage more than any other passage in Holy Scripture from my members. So I think it does bother a lot of people because we hear it read and we're like, wait a minute, what if I forgive, then he'll forgive me? And that's exactly, I think, the sort of disturbing thing. And that's, of course, not what's actually meant here. In context, what is meant is that God has forgiven you, and therefore, that will be expressed in your own life to other people, right? That the gospel actually changes believers, that sanctification always follows justification. Faith alone saves, but it's never alone. So we are defined by and live by forgiveness, This is, in some ways, the most essential good work next to faith itself. If you want to conceive of faith as a good work in a sense that it's commanded, which it is, and therefore, in some sense, when we do it, we're doing what pleases God, we're doing a good work. Next to faith, this is the most central reality, that what it is to be a Christian is to be forgiven, to receive this grace, this mercy, to not be held accountable for the sins that we have committed, but to be restored to God in Christ with peace. And therefore, that is going to be reflected in our lives. 
the point ultimately is not, this isn't a, if you do this, then afterwards God will do that. It's rather really kind of a reverse statement where if you're not doing this, the reality is you don't really believe in the forgiveness of sins that's been given to you. So if you've been forgiven, forgiveness will flow from you. If you aren't forgiving, that means that you aren't forgiven because you've rejected it. The solution really here lies, I think, and you have said, in how we understand the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, which says, in effect, exactly the same thing Jesus says in Matthew 6. It's, forgive us our debts as we forgive those indebted to us. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the immediate context in Matthew chapter 6, because the Lord's Prayer ends with deliver us from evil. And then Jesus immediately says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. So this is, again, not a prerequisite, but rather a consequence that we're forgiven, thus we, we forgive. We forgive, of course, imperfectly, but our forgiveness is true. It's sincere, right? And the tenses in the fifth petition, particularly in Matthew's gospel, I think are pointed because the first one, we pray that God forgive our debts. That's how Matthew uh, has it. That we would forgive our debts as an aorist. That means it's a, a single action in a sense, a completed action, an enduring reality, right? So forgive us our debts. Boom. One time, finished, perfect, completed. And then the second verb, as we forgive our debtors, that is in the future tense and it's an indicative, and that means that it's actually an ongoing tense. So I would translate this as forgive us our debts as we keep on forgiving our debtors. That is that we're asking God, when we ask for his forgiveness, we're asking for what's already complete, what's already finished, But our work is not finished, right? Not just because people keep sinning against us, but also because we have to keep on forgiving because of the imperfection of our forgiveness. It's not insincere, but it's not perfect. So as we keep on forgiving our debtors, in some sense, as a description of a lifestyle, of a mindset, it's faith in action. The other place that this comes up, and it really helps to clarify the difficulty of Jesus saying is in the long parable of the, we'll call him the unforgiving steward or unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. Take us into that parable. Yeah, absolutely. So remember, well, I'll just read it to you quickly. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers 
until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So the problem here is, right, that this guy is just hasn't been changed by forgiveness at all. And I mean, we sort of psychoanalyzing it, the suspicion is he isn't really confident. He doesn't really believe he's been forgiven. He expects he's going to have to pay that back. And therefore, he shows no mercy to anyone else. And this is inconceivable for a Christian to behave in this way. Again, we're defined by forgiveness. We live in forgiveness. I wonder, with regard to that parable, if Jesus isn't doing what he's often done in this series, as we've talked about his various difficult sayings, and telling a story so outlandish so as to make a point that kind of the name of this parable should be, would anyone ever act like this? Would any rational person ever behave this way after having been forgiven such a debt? Oh, yeah. It's, it, it is really a, a thousand talents, depending on how you do the math. That's either a thousand months worth of wages, or I love this in Athens, a talent was the price of a trireme, which would be like a battleship in modern terms. So, you know, I don't know what the U.S. government pays for a battleship, but I think it's multi-millions of dollars, right? So even if you say a month's wages in modern terms was $2,000, a thousand times that, this is an astronomical sum. In fact, there's no way that this guy could owe that much money. He would have to be like a federal government to have that kind of debt. So he'd have to have been so wasteful and so ridiculous. It's just beyond the scope that he... And then a hundred denarii is not an insignificant amount. A denarius was a day's wages. So, you know, the guy owes him three months wages. So it's significant, but I mean, in comparison, it's just absolutely nothing. And there's so many, so much detail in this parable. I love too that like the guy says, he, I just said he's got this, this debt that only the federal government could have. And he says when he gets called on it, right, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And there, there's no way. That's a totally insincere confession. Whereas the servant that comes to him, I mean, you can pay back. You know, if you owed, I don't know, what's a three months wages, say it was even $30,000, $40,000. I mean, you could pay that back. So he really does behave in a way that just is irrational because sin is irrational because living in hatred and refusing to love is not what human beings are created for. So let's go back to a point that you make that perfect forgiveness isn't required. This is one of the things that probably troubles the conscience of many a person looking at these parables and these passages saying, well, God's forgiveness for me is perfect and mine is never perfect. Yeah, that's exactly right. And your forgiveness on this side of glory is never going to be perfect because you're not Jesus. And this is a struggle. What we're being called to is the desire and the willingness to forgive. I'm not saying we don't forgive, but the standard is not what God has done for us in the sense that we have to meet it to earn his favor. We are living it out as imperfect children who are living by faith, who are trusting in God's promises and waiting for this to be revealed. So I think this is often a kind of confusion that comes up when we talk about sanctification. And this is an issue of sanctification, right? Forgive us our trespasses. That's justification. We're asking God to reconcile us to himself, to declare us righteous, to forgive our sins completely, fully based upon his promise and his work you know, on the cross and from the empty tomb. That's justification. 
as we forgive those who trespass against us is sanctification. That is the process by which we are separated from this world and that we are living according to God's word. And there is growth in that over time for the Christian as we are strengthened in our faith, as we are renewed in our baptisms and so forth. That growth may not feel that significant in some sense, and maybe it isn't, but it is growth. There is change over time. But sanctification is not really about getting better. It's really about living the fuller life. And I think a lot of times when we talk about this, like, oh, I want to get better at being forgiving. Okay, fair enough. Or I want to get better at loving my wife, or I want to get better at tithing, or I want to get better at whatever, reading the Bible. That's all sort of a legitimate goal, but it's not about getting better to merit God's favor or to impress him. He doesn't need to be merited. He doesn't need to be impressed. He already loves us completely. It's rather coming more into the fullness of what God has won for us and living according to his will as fuller human beings. So forgiveness is, again, this kind of essential quality to live together in peace as brothers and sisters in Christ. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. It's our series on the difficult sayings of Jesus. We're dealing with Jesus on forgiveness. When we come back, he has some illustrations and applications of this principle of forgiveness. need a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Some place where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered, cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org. Are you thankful for the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc.? Please consider making a special Thanksgiving gift. You can make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org, or you can also contribute by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. For a year-end contribution of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. For sinners only, you're listening to Issues Etc. Logia Journal, the Confessional Dogmatic Series. The works of Kurt Marquardt and many other resources are all brought to you by Luther Academy. Did you know that during this time of COVID-19, your purchases and donations help Luther Academy supply these same resources to pastors around the world? Please consider helping us with this important need through your prayers and financial support. Learn how you can help by visiting lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, as we move farther along in St. Luke, we come to Jesus' genealogy. The first two temptations, the third temptation and the start of his ministry, the synagogue at Nazareth, and rejection. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for the word of the Lord endures forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider.
You can meet pro-life Lutherans from around the world at the National March for Life in Washington, D.C. Lutherans for Life will be participating in the March for Life. They'll also be hosting a conference for adults and youth January 19th through the 21st in Washington, D.C. The registration deadline is December 15th. And for more information, visit lutheransforlife.org, lutheransforlife.org. We're talking about forgiveness in Matthew 6 and elsewhere. In our series on the difficult sayings of Jesus, Pastor David Peterson is our guest. David, you had some illustrations and applications of this principle of forgiveness that we find from Christ. Yeah, I think, so think about how annoying it is when your children are fighting, right? Mothers and fathers hate that. And as a child, we also hate it because typically what we think we want is justice, right? Why does it hurt your mother to see you fighting with your brother? Because she wants you to love him, because she loves you both, right? It's real obvious as a parent, but as a child, I think it's sometimes hard to see. So if you think about how you want your children to behave with and toward each other, that's how God wants us to behave. And, you know, your mother wants you to forgive your brother and to find peace. It's the related thing to sort of tattling, right? Why is it that tattling is wrong? Because it's always seeking vengeance, right? So we spend a lot of time with the children explaining, right? There's a time to tell your mother when, you know, when your brother sets the garage on fire, come tell your mom. But when your brother just doesn't let you take his turn, you need to settle it among yourselves. That's just tattling. It's tattling because you're being hateful, because you're being selfish. Even if you're right, your kind of demand for justice is not kind, it is not merciful, it is not generous. And again, your mother wants you to love your brother, to live together in peace. And this is how God wants us to live with one another. He wants us to actually be generous to one another and to forgive one another. And then also in that same kind of line, why did your mother make you say you're sorry to your brother when you weren't? Because sometimes you do just have to go through the motions. Sometimes you have to just do the outward thing because it's the right thing as a confession against what's in your heart so that your heart would change. So I'm totally in favor of teaching children, forcing children to say they're sorry when they're not. I mean, I, will, I want them to be sorry, of course, but it's not just a matter of being polite and it's not a matter of just lying. It's a matter of confession that this is the kind of people we are. This is how we behave in this family. And, and we do it because we know that this is the real thing and the thing that's going to endure. And I actually do love my brother, even though right now my emotions are kind of out of control. So all of that applies to adults and to brothers and sisters in the church also. And I think really the passage that kind of gets at all of this is love covers a multitude of sins, right? That we're actually should be merciful to one another, not so strict, not so legalistic, not so insistent on our own ways. But again, seeing one another as the redeemed, seeing one another as the people that Jesus was willing to die for and who he wants in his kingdom. Let's talk about consequences, or we could say, in some cases, permanent consequences, even though the sin is forgiven. Yeah, and I think this is a big confusion that the church has often had, because again, because God's forgiveness is so perfect for us and so full, right, that we know there are no eternal consequences for our sin, that we've been reconciled to the Father, completely forgiven, 
absolutely holy, righteous, and innocent. Jesus has paid for everything, and he doesn't hold it against us, and we're going to heaven. There are no eternal consequences. There are consequences here in time, though, even for the sins that God forgives. God can even hold us and does sometimes hold us accountable to some degree. He doesn't hold us guilty, but sometimes there are consequences for the sins that we've committed, and we have to bear that in time. And when we're talking about with our brothers and sisters in Christ, everybody's in time here, and we're not God, right? So we don't have the ability to forgive sins perfectly the way God does, and we don't have the means to do that. But then also, there have to be some consequences. So forgiveness doesn't mean it didn't happen. And I think this is often the kind of fantasy that people have, particularly when they're the criminal, right? Well, you said you forgave me, therefore, you can't remember it. No, I can remember it, right? And uh, and you remember it too. And there needs to be sometimes some fruits of repentance or recompense to rebuild trust, right? And to help things along because forgiveness doesn't erase the past. And in fact, there can be even in extreme cases, as you say, lifelong consequences until we, not, not I said eternal, not eternal, but lifelong. So what do I mean? Here's an example from my own life. I've told this story a million times, but it's a true story and it gets to it, I think. I came home from work one time years ago, nobody was home and there was a cake on the kitchen counter and like a total fool, I don't know what I was thinking because there's not normally cake on my counter. I sliced into it and ate a piece of it. And my wife, of course, gets home a minute later and sees this cake cut into and was angry, right? Because I just ruined this cake that she was supposed to take someplace. Now, if I was not a Christian, I might have become defensive and I might have said, hey, look, it's my house. You should have left a note. How am I supposed to know? I can have cake if I want. I don't know. That would have been totally stupid, but I'm capable of it. God be praised. I didn't do it that time. The Lord was with me and I just realized that was dumb. I should have real I should have thought about other people and I wasn't, so I said, I'm sorry. You want me to run to Kroger and buy a cake at the deli? And she said, No, don't worry about it. It's really no big deal. Right. And the whole incident was over. But if I hadn't said I was sorry, if I hadn't at least made some offer to try to make it up to her to do something, that could have become a disastrous reality, right? If I would have just said, yeah, just forgive me, pretend like it didn't happen. That's not Christian behavior, right? So some recompense, some acknowledgement of the reality was needed in order to demonstrate to her that I recognized I'd hurt her, that I'd been thoughtless, and that I didn't want to hurt her and I wanted to make up for it, right? That's, that's how we have to live together. That's fruits of repentance. That's communication, reality amongst people, husbands and wives in particular. It's not that big a deal unless you don't do it, right? But if you go to the opposite extreme of kind of maybe one of the worst things we could imagine without any kind of graphic detail, but imagine, God forbid, that a man abuses a girl in his church, say he was a Sunday school teacher or something, And then he asks sincerely for forgiveness, right? He's got a weakness. He's got a problem. He totally regrets it. He feels awful. The people that he sinned against, the family, their heart broke about this, but they recognize that Jesus loves him. They want to forgive him. They're willing to forgive him. They say, I forgive you. Wonderful, beautiful. That's good. That's appropriate. But, you know, he might have to go to jail. Or at the very least, I think in this sort of a situation, 
he's going to probably have to take a pledge. I'm never going to talk to that girl again. I'm never going to approach her. I'm not going to come near her. I'm going to go to another church because I don't want to make her uncomfortable. And I recognize that she's forgiving me, but that she has, I've hurt her and I've caused damage that isn't probably going to go away in this life. And, you know, he does not have the right to say, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, you said you forgave me, let's pretend like this didn't happen, right? That doesn't mean that the family or the girl were unwilling to forgive or that their forgiveness wasn't real. It's simply an acknowledgement of what forgiveness looks like between Christians in this kind of complicated, painful world and recognizing, again, that sort of forgiveness doesn't mean it didn't happen. Forgiveness means that God doesn't hold us guilty for our sins, and there will be no eternal consequences. So summarize all of this for us. We've dealt with these difficult things about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins and our willingness to begin forgiving our neighbor. How would you summarize all of it? Well, I would say, again, the gospel actually changes us, right? It has a real impact. It's not just it's not an abstraction. I've been forgiven and now everything continues the way that it was. We're growing in faith, we're changing, we're learning in the word of God. Sanctification is following justification and we are performing good works. And again, I think next to faith itself, the most central good work is mercy or forgiveness, being defined by forgiveness, living in forgiveness, being people of grace and of faith, and then extending that love outward in a natural way, even as we have received it. Again, imperfectly, but sincerely. What do you say to the person grievously wronged, and they say, Pastor Peterson, I want to forgive this person. I want to be able to forgive this person. I haven't been able to do it yet. I know what's in my heart. I know my thoughts. I know what I feel toward this person, and it isn't forgiveness. I really want to. I pray that I can. What do you say to that person? I say that's faith. That's completely faith, and keep working on it, right? Don't give up. Keep praying the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Ask God to give you the courage and the strength and the patience to be more forgiving, to be fuller in this. But that is faith that is disturbing you. I mean, I know that sounds sort of bizarre, but if you were just filled with hatred and vengeance, you wouldn't be disturbed and you wouldn't be bothered. The fact of the matter is you are confessing that you're not as good as Jesus when you say that. And that's a good confession. It's an accurate confession. You're not as good as Jesus. You're not as good at forgiving as he is. But you do recognize the beauty and the goodness and the rightness of forgiveness, and you don't want to be the unmerciful servant. You want to be like Jesus. You want to extend this. So it's an ongoing work and effort that is lived out in prayer and in the Word of God and fueled by the sacraments. Pastor David Peterson is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's departmental editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. You'll find a link to Gottesdienst on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. David, thank you. Thank you, Todd. My pleasure. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss Psalm 67, Psalm appointed for a day of Thanksgiving. Our guest will be Dr. Tim Seleska of Concordia Seminary. And we'll have Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever lead us in a study of the Advent hymn, Savior of the Nations Come. I'm Todd Wilkin. 
Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.